This is episode 21 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Julie Martin. So I think if I if I could say something from my experience and what I have learned through the course of my career is that that mission is very important and to be able to define what that mission is for ourselves is also going to help us through those transition times and also to help us be focused on uh, when things aren't going quite right, is it still pushing us towards the mission or is it pulling us away from our mission? So if it's something that truly is taking us away from our mission, maybe we can say, I need to let that go or I need to make a change. Or if it's um, maybe just a, uh, a struggle that we can grow through and we realize what's on the other side, is still pointed towards our mission, then that can help us get through those rough patches as well. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. On this week's episode, I talked to Julie Martin, who is a music therapist in Florida. She's been practicing music therapy for over 20 years and has recently decided to make a pretty big, I would say, career shift, Uh, not to a different career, but a shift in her music therapy career. So Julie is currently until December in more of a management role and she is moving to a new part of Florida or I guess an old part moving home to restart her private practice and in this episode we talk about why Julie decided to make that shift the mission she's developed over the past few years and how that informed and encouraged her to make this change we also talk about her energy work, specifically Reiki, how she has learned about that, and that is informing her personal and professional growth, and she gives us some tips on how to use energy work in our daily lives and in our practices to enhance what we're doing. So I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did, and like I said in the episode, we'll have to check in with Julie in a bit to see how this transition in her life is going. If you're enjoying the podcast and feel so inclined, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews help this podcast be more visible so more people can listen, get the information, and feel inspired, hopefully, about what they're doing. Also, find us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. We're on Instagram and Facebook primarily, and we have a group on Facebook where you can talk to other people who are listening. A lot of the guests are in that group, so you can ask them further questions if you'd like. All that good stuff. Just another safe space to have a conversation. 
And finally, we have a Patreon page. So if you're unfamiliar with Patreon, it's a way to monetarily support creators and you can pledge to give a donation monthly, one time, whatever you're comfortable with. And on Patreon, I will be offering the opportunity to ask questions to the guests. So before an interview, I will put on Patreon who the guest is going to be. If you're a patron, you are welcome to write some questions you might have for that person specifically, and I will ask them during the interview. And if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast or you want us to reach out to someone, please let us know by sending an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. Welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast, Julie. Thank you, Tricia. I am so happy to be here with you today. Thank you for making the time. So to start us off, will you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'd be happy to. I am a board-certified music therapist. I've been working for 23 years, all in the state of Florida, um, born and raised in Florida and still loving living here in St. Petersburg and enjoying our wonderful culture, including our craft beer experiences and uh, being out in nature and uh, enjoying lots of musical experiences as well, too. So I personally love to... Uh, teach my cycling class and have been training, not currently at the moment, but uh, for a distance running. And um, I love to bake cookies. Awesome. So tell us how you got into music therapy and then your journey from then till now, 20, 22 years, 23 years. That's a long mm -hmm. time. Yes. <laughs> I had a, an outstanding high school band experience. So during that time, I realized, yeah, I have to do music, something. And um, my senior year in high school, I asked the assistant band director, you know, what else is there to do besides teach? So part of me was gung-ho band, and the other part said, you might want to check out something else. <laughs> so right out of uh, high school, I did go to junior college and finished two years of degree in uh, music, and then uh, took a detour into music education and realized, yeah, that's not really fitting my personality and what I want to do. So I decided to um, look more into music therapy. And as soon as I did, it's like, that's exactly what I need to be doing. And through the course of my work, uh, most of it has been in medical music therapy. I started out at a children's hospital in St. Petersburg and uh, continued to work in pediatrics and also added hospice to my work as well. And uh, through all of that time, I was really able to figure out what my mission really was and to really define what that was. I knew that music helped people and I wanted to help people, but that was a little too general. And so I looked at who am I as a person and what is important to me? What is my personal mission? And so I define that as maximizing well-being and minimizing suffering for myself and for others. And so naturally, music therapy just fits right into that because music helps me. Music is a part of my life, a part of my well 
well-being. And um, then I uh, so enjoy using music therapy uh, to help others, especially children and those at end of life, to cope with what's going on and, again, to maximize their well-being while minimizing their suffering. So that mission truly has either led me to where I am or reminded me of where I needed to be. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you're kind of, in the past, you've worked at both ends of our scope of practice. You know, we say cradle to grave, and you got the little kiddos, and you have the um, geriatric population, hospice population. So tell us how those cross over, how working with those differing populations informed your practice with the other one. Yes, I was so delighted when I discovered, oh, wow, this hospice thing is not so bad. (laughs) And I I knew that that was going to be a good place for me to go. And what I really found in working in hospice was that my population uh, were patients mostly with dementia. So uh, knowing that when dementia progresses, we tend to regress backwards through the developmental stages. So there were times when I could look at a patient and just tell by the look in her eyes that she was nervous about this person coming in that she did not know, did not what know what that person was going to be doing to her. And it just made me feel like, oh, she she was giving me that sense of energy like a two-year-old who can't understand what's going on. They just, you know, know the strange person is coming in. So um, I really was able to relate to that world of dementia through the practice of working with children thinking about the developmental aspects of it, even to the point where I knew at some point I cannot hand an egg shaker to a person with dementia because they're going to put it in their mouth. (laughs) So even those safety practices as well um, were very much informed by my work with children. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, personally, that's not a combination of clientele that I hear together very often. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome that... uh, you were able to see those similarities and therefore incorporate similar aspects to your practice when working with those individuals. Yes. Awesome. So you, in an email, said that you created a specialized protocol for hospice home health care that incorporated recorded music. Yes. Yeah, recorded music and um, preparing it to give to other professionals to use is a really controversial topic in our field. So tell us how you developed it, how you tell people to incorporate that, all that. Right. Um, And I I agree, and I can see that, too. Uh, I also realize that they're just looking at hospice. There are 5,000 plus hospices. And there's only 7,000 music therapists in the United States. So if we were to put one music therapist just for every hospice company, that would leave everybody else kind of short. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I really think that we can be open to exploring our expertise in music therapy because music happens. If you go to, um, let's say, a hospice and you talk to the home health aides or you talk to social workers or especially if you talk to uh, the spiritual care coordinators, the the spiritual professionals, you're going to find people who naturally incorporate music into their work. So um, as my time in the field has progressed, I I heard that more and more and more. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to help these people understand 
better how to incorporate music so that it helps them within their role and use the music within their role in their particular interest and skill level to enhance what they do. They're not doing music therapy. They're not doing the music therapy assessment. And I tell everybody that I am not teaching them music therapy. I have I have corrected so many people. Don't call it music therapy. <laughs> it is supportive music. But like I said, because music happens, I want to be sure that it happens in the best way possible. So what I did with uh, this protocol that I created, and it's a very specific protocol only to be used with patients with dementia. And I provided, uh, we got some really nice grant money, so I was able to provide each home health aide with an MP3 player that was uh, loaded with music. And the training was based on the ISO principle. So the ISO principle is also a natural kind of thing that we do if you think about how we console children, you know, babies, you know, they're, they're fussy and upset and we're, we're bouncing them and giving them the shh really loud in their ear. So we're matching them and trying to move them. And what, uh, what can happen with patients with dementia is that 70 to 80% of them eventually will develop agitation. And so our home health aides at that end of lifetime were running into that, which made it difficult to work with the patients, but also it could be a, a risk for their injury as well. So I thought, well, what can I do? And just a little quick history on the background of the protocol. The falls committee out of the safety committee called me one day and they said, we would like to help prevent falls in patients with dementia, Do you, and we think music can help. Okay, so here's that sense of other professionals knowing music can help. Can you, can you help? I'm like, yeah, I had no idea how I was going to do that. <laughs> but I said, yeah, let's do that. And as we worked together, I decided to create this protocol that integrates music into the care provided by the home health aides, and it is based on the ISO principle. So as much as possible, the patients do get preferred music because the uh, MP3 players have a number of different genres on them, and each playlist in the genre is ordered so that the first song uh, starts in that slower, lower energy, and each song progressively gets a little faster, a little louder, so you get to the end. And then that playlist is reversed. So it's the same playlist in reverse order. So all the home health aide has to do is find out what kind of music the patient likes. In that moment, they're going to see at what energy level, what state that patient is in, and then they're going to choose the appropriate play playlist, push play, help the patient to recognize and to be involved in the music or make connection with the music, not recognize it, but make connection with it, and um, then allow that music to guide the patient into the optimal arousal state. So we're looking for that state of awake, alert, but not too lethargic and not overly active. The home health aides also have the option of using other preferred music if what the patient likes is not on that playlist. So they've given me feedback and they said about 50% of the time they use the playlist and about 50% of the time uh, they bring open their phone, put on Spotify or Pandora or something like that, and, and the patient has the music that they prefer. I've had so many home health aides come and say, I love my music, and, and um, have heard 
a number of stories and seen a number of quotes about how that has really done some wonderful things for them, and they're very appreciative of it. The patients are are uh, more engaged, they're happier, and easier to work with, and that was the point. So it's a, it's a really neat protocol, and I think it's something that music therapists, that as I'm kind of perusing the, the Facebook pages and seeing the commentary and things like that, I think it's a great idea for us to be able to do that, knowing that music happens, and music therapists don't own the benefits of music, but we are the experts in the benefits of music. Yeah, you've said that really well, and also stating that this is music support or supportive music. Supportive music, yeah. yes. And the home care aids, you've put in all the work. You've put in all this time and effort to create this for them, this protocol, this playlist, taught them how to use it. And those are really special skills. And any person in their position would benefit from having them. So that's awesome that you are helping them along that way and sharing the ability to use music supportively. Yes, I think so too. Thank you. And uh, music is a part of their lives as well. And they enjoy giving something to the patients uh, that, that brings joy for them. And, uh, you know, we're, it's, we're helping professions and home health aides, likewise, they do what they do because they love caring for people and to give them extra tools to do that helps with their job satisfaction. Yeah. Awesome. That's a wonderful way yeah. to look at it. Beautiful. Thanks. Thanks. So you have, you are making a career shift kind of, sort of, if you have another way to describe that, tell us, <laughs> but tell our listeners what you're doing right now. Okay, I'm, I'm happy to do that because I'm so excited about what's coming up. I'm still so excited about the work that I do. Um, and currently my job is that I coordinate the complementary modalities program for the hospice that I work for. So I don't actually do any patient care. So I'm shifting from this uh, management position into back to private practice. And so I'm, I'm currently in that shift. I have uh, given my notice to my company. Congratulations. And oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll be there until December 13th because there's still a lot of things that I want to have prepared for my successor to be able to just come in and step into the, the role and learn it quickly and take off. And uh, then I'm going to back to my hometown, Pensacola, Florida, to rebuild my private practice there. So currently I have an LLC and a bank account. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and um, my, my business practice is definitely going to focus on healthcare. Uh, my mission for my business is to integrate music therapy into healthcare. And um, it looks like a good place to start is probably going to be with the uh, dementia population up there. And the timing and the synchronicities are just almost crazy because the week after I told my boss that I had intended to resign and, and move up to uh, back home, a week later I was actually at home with my mom and met, uh, saw a friend of mine who knows somebody from a hospice up there. 
And so I said, oh, yeah, let me just give you my business card. I'm just making connections and that sort of thing. And about a week later, uh, the company called me and that that company also has a uh, memory care residence. So it's all dementia and Alzheimer's. And they were gearing up to do music and memory but found out that the trainings had been canceled. So they called, yes, so they called me and said, hey, you're a music therapist. Do you think you can help us? <laughs> and I said, absolutely, I can help you. So I'm in the process of, of um, working with them to uh, do kind of my version of a training. And um, I looked at the music and memory and talked with them to, or talked with the, the company to find out what their intention was and how they wanted to, to use the music. And, and so I'm trying to align with what their goals are and intentions for the music and provide them what they had hoped to uh, have from the music and memory. So that's, uh, that's already happening. I was sort of just like crazy excited about that, creating a new training because I love to do the trainings. Uh, I've had experience in downloading lots of music to lots of MP3 players. <laughs> and uh, so and being able to help them in the way that is uh, that they're looking forward to. So that collaboration piece is really uh, nice as well. Yeah. And uh, serendipitous. Yeah. Yes. Great absolutely. Just like you said. So, is your vision for where you're, what you're creating? Are do you picture yourself in more of a clinician role, or in more of this? I don't know if administrative is the right word, but more mm -hmm. of this um, present presenter role, or how do you picture yourself day to day? Um, well, you know, our favorite word in music therapy that depends. <laughs> <laughs> I think that learning from other folks who have uh, had successful private practices and, you know, I, I kind of watch and I see what's going on out there. It feels like we need to be able to offer various levels of service, and that includes the music therapy direct patient care. So um, in Pensacola, there, there are very few music therapists, so there's a great opportunity just to start with education. Do you know what music therapy is about? And then then uh, go into the uh, at the bedside and build some contracts and work that way. I also see eventually then adding those trainings either during patient care, before whatever the company might benefit from at that moment, um, doing those trainings to help their staff members understand and then say, uh, you know, this is re working really well for you. Did you know that music therapy can do even more? And let's explore having a music therapist providing direct services and see what can happen next. So building upon that level and then the final level that I see happening with my program somewhere down the road, who knows how long it will take, but hopefully sooner rather than later, I would love to build some programs so that other music therapists can have jobs. That's important to me, too. Awesome. So you have all the levels there. I hope so. <laughs> That's so beautiful. So in this vision, and we, we kind of talked about this, about the the discrepancy in our profession about encouraging or giving music to other professions. So are what are some other boundaries you're pushing in your vision, some other rules you're breaking 
you know, rules and quotes, of course. Rules and quotes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell us about uh-huh. how you're expanding kind of what we as a profession may have defined as what we do versus what others do. Right. Um, and that's a great question because for a long, long time, I was dead set against volunteering or donating music therapy practice any type of music therapy uh, direct care. And what I would really like to do when I go back to Pensacola is to approach the regional children's hospital because pediatrics is my thing and, and say, you know, I'd like to, I'm a board certified music therapist and I'd like to offer you donate my services for, you know, a couple hours a week for a particular period of time. And we can even call it a project. You know, I'd like to do a project and and see what you all think about that. And so I have been doing as much as I think I can to find out if there are other music therapists in the area who are trying to get into that hospital. And so I have not found any. And so if anybody's on this podcast listening and you know of someone, please have them contact me because I do not want to step on anybody's toes. I do not want to get in the way of what somebody's already working on. So that's important to me for sure, not to to block somebody because I don't want to cost anybody a job. But doing pediatric work fuels my soul. And if I can show them at least a couple of hours a week to get their interest in something that music therapy really does make a big difference, then we can start having that conversation. So I think sometimes people do need to see it, but my approach will be I'd like to donate my services. Here is what they are worth. So please be sure you add that to your foundation of donated services, and this is what it would cost if you were to contract with me. And uh, so hopefully that will develop some interest in having a music therapy program there. I think that's a wonderful way to go about it. Uh, because you know, you're being cognizant of the people who may mm. already be doing this, you're setting a time limit, you're framing it as a donation is not yes. a, a way that I've heard it perceived before. But I think that's great to say like, hey, here's the value, the monetary value and what I'm right. giving you. Uh, so they they understand up front, all those things, all those parameters are set. Right. Awesome. Do you have any other places or um, ideas of where you want to do a project, per se? (laughs) Um, No, not really, because at some point I do need to actually make money. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Doing that. Um, So so no other projects right now, but I um, am still working full time. And so um, my mind still needs to be focused on my work here and slowly building up to when I do have the time to spend, to focus on building the practice. And and fortunately, I've got some good things in place that I can start with and get get going on and uh, not have to worry too much about the income piece of it. Um, There are a couple things about this transition that I'd like to say about that income piece. Because I know uh, for myself, I've been in full-time work. I've been in part-time work plus private practice work and then back into full-time work again. So now I'm going completely into private practice. And uh, so if, if folks are thinking about that private practice pathway, then what you can look at is your minimum livable income. 
So um, maybe starting to build that private practice based upon your mission. Again, tie it to your mission. What is going to, what's going to drive you? Always follow the mission, not the career. And what is that minimum livable income that you need to have before you can quit your job? or before you can move on. The other thing for me, fortunately, is that over the last 10 years of being partially private practice, partially part-time, then full-time, I've been able to put enough into savings that I actually can fund myself for about a year. And fortunately, my mom has said, you can just come live here for a while. And I'm like, okay, but I'll be out of your hair as soon as I can. (laughs) Um, So I have a little bit of that going for me. Plus, I know I, I know what my minimum that I need to have per month already set aside so that I can focus on building my practice. Tell us, so your mission and how that ties into your mindset shift with donating these practices and how you're going to grow from there, how your mission ties into all the things that you're suggesting. Right. Well, um, my mission, like I said, is to maximize well-being and minimize suffering. And I've even broken it down further from um, or looked at music therapy in a different way as well. So music therapy is that practice that I do. But at my core, who am I inside underneath that music therapist um, profession? And I am a healing facilitator. So I use music as a way to help other people grow, to have resilience, to cope, um, even with that end of lifetime. I am facilitating someone else's healing, whatever that looks like for them. And that is directly tied to maximizing well-being and minimizing suffering. And that, to me, that mission is big enough that it helps me stay focused on the big things. Um, when I, there was a period of my life in my career too, that I lost sight of that mission. And what made me make that first leap out of that full-time work was the fact that I was experiencing that burnout. I was experiencing that just anger over the stupid little things that I had to do in my job. And it I was focused on them. It kept pulling my energy and pulling attention away from my joy, away from doing the music therapy work. I got so caught up in, in the things that really, as I look back, just it didn't matter. It didn't, it, it, it was just stupid stuff. Because the mission was so big and the mission is big enough now that when I experience those those little frustrations, that's all they are. They're just little. So I became more focused on the things that were in my career and in my job. And that led me to getting stuck in in the things I didn't like and the things that pulled me away from doing my mission work. And my mission work is about that huge maximizing well-being and minimizing suffering for myself and others. And others are whoever is in front of me (laughs) and who else, you know, I can be, what, who are the people in my community and, and, um, also my state, my world, it, it can just go on and on from that point, even up to the international space station, if it has to. (laughs) Music therapy at the international space station. Right. Soon to come. (laughs) 
Um, so I think if I if I could say something from my experience and what I have learned through the course of my career is that that mission is very important and to be able to define what that mission is for ourselves is also going to help us through those transition times and also to help us be focused on uh, when things aren't going quite right is it still pushing us towards the mission or is it pulling us away from our mission so if it's something that truly is taking us away from our mission, maybe we can say, I need to let that go, or I need to make a change. Or if it's um, maybe just a, uh, a struggle that we can grow through, and we realize what's on the other side is still pointed towards our mission, then that can help us get through those rough patches as well. Yeah, I think you're so right that when the little things start to add up is when the burnout gets real and it's hard to to trudge through that when you don't have that bigger picture. So how did you go about defining your mission? Were there exercises you did or um, a certain course you took or did you just sit down and tell yourself you needed to do that? How did you get yourself to now having that bigger picture and living by it? For me, it was kind of an organic process, um, and I think the actual point that helped me to define what my mission was is I read the book *The Moral Landscape* by Sam Harris, and that kind of gave me the language. It was like, oh, that's great. Those words that he was using really resonated with who I felt I was. So that was the big, um, that was the, for me, the tool that helped me to um, define my mission. But there are all kinds of ways, I'm sure, that are out there that you can define your own mission for yourself. So looking at what's important to you, looking at what was important to you even as a child, uh, what, you know, for example, music. Music was such an important part of my life. And what does music do for me? Oh, well, music makes me feel good. And what do I, what do I like to do? What do I feel comfortable with? I feel comfortable helping people. Oh, yeah, okay. I like to do music and I like to help people. Okay, so what's bigger than that? Where does that lead? What's next? So um, the question would be, well, why would I do that? And then the next question is, well, why would I do that? Until you finally boil it down to there's no other place to go when you ask yourself that question, why do I do that? And hopefully then you'll arrive at that big mission statement. That's great. That's something I'll probably sit down and do later. Okay. Why do I do that? Why do I do that? Um, your bio, you wrote in a similar format where, you know, you're defining this about yourself or defining this about yourself. So I'd even say anyone listening, check out the show notes and read Julie's bio and the questions she has in there. Ask yourself those questions because I think that'll take anyone on a very uh, self-reflective journey. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. So do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, this whole, this whole topic? I, um, I don't think so. I, I'm, I am truly, truly, truly grateful for the opportunity to talk about these things because it has been a journey for me. 
and probably a good solid 10 years worth of journey for me. And in particular, the last few months, probably the last uh, 11 months or so, uh, I started actually to meditate and doing some meditation has really brought me to the next step of of more self-growth and personal reflection and reading other things by other people and being inspired too. So that it, it truly is a journey. So we can't expect to have everything all at once. Um, even, even that mission statement, it was kind of nebulous for the first 10 years of my career. But then it finally landed, and I said, okay, yeah, that's really good. And then it, it's been there as a support, but now, like in this transition that I'm making, it is totally driving this transition because I know that personally I'm in a very good place. I think that my well-being is pretty good right now. So what's the next level out? Well, it's to make sure my family is having maximal well-being too. So what does that look like? Well, that means moving back to Pensacola so I can be with my mom because what brings her joy is to be around her children. And especially because my mother is older, uh, she's in great health, but why not go now and uh, have time with her when she can really fully enjoy her life and have something very special, which is her daughter. And it is an honor for me to be that person for her. And uh, so, again, it goes right back to my mission to maximize this is what I can do. And, yeah, of course I'm going to do that. <laughs> and I get to do music therapy, too. That's really beautiful. So it, you, I guess for anyone going through this right now to trust the journey, trust the timing, mm -hmm. because it's taken you a while to get to this point and you're teaching us what you've learned along the way that everyone else also has to go on that journey in their own time. Yes, yeah. we really do. So I, I encourage, um, I encourage all of you find your mission, keep the eye on the mission. And when somebody says, Oh, guitar girl, who are you going to come entertain <laughs> today? <laughs> yep. You can laugh it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell us about your energy work practice that you're growing and developing. Oh, that has been phenomenal. The funny thing about how I got started into Reiki, Reiki is the particular uh, practice that I have learned, is that in my current job of coordinating the palliative arts, we call them, which are complementary modalities, um, Reiki is one of those. So I thought, Oh, I should probably take the Reiki training so at least I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Little did I know that I was on a course that would change my life. So um, I took the Reiki One training, and um, in our hospice, we, we teach the Yusui method of natural healing, uh, which is directly right from, can be traced right back to Japan. And uh, so that Reiki level one was like, okay, now at least I know what I'm talking about. But then I was encouraged to take the second level. And in the second level, there are symbols that are used within the practice. And being a musician, symbols were like, okay, I get this. This is really cool. And then having those symbols and knowing those symbols is what really made me connect with the Reiki practice. And from there, 
um, beginning to use it, I actually incorporated uh, it into my work as a music therapist, especially with infants where I could, you know, put on the baby go to sleep um, CD and music with a heartbeat and a lullaby and provide some energy work to that to that infant. Um, that was really incredible to see the, the effects of that. And so I thought, well, you know, part of this energy work practice is to use it on ourselves. So then a couple of years later, developing a little bit more if things are, you know, it's like all those pieces of the puzzle on the table and you're just kind of working to put them together and finally get the picture. So, so that portion of the puzzle that was the energy work is really starting to come together, especially for me in the last um, about 15 months or so. That's really so having, beautiful. Yeah, so having that energy work is is really awesome, and um, I I do know that other music therapists do incorporate Reiki and uh, energy work into their work too. I was like, so excited because so I put put a note out on one of the Facebook Facebook music therapy groups. Does anybody do Reiki? And I'm like, oh, I do, I do. <laughs> so um, I think it's a really nice combination of practices that we can use plus energy work when you learn about how it helps you personally is a really good self-care as I've here's an example as I have really incorporated energy work into just my daily life I have not been sick um, this year so usually I get you know cold or something uh, respiratory infection at least twice a year usually in January then again sometime March or April I have not been sick this year and I'm so excited about that <laughs> yeah and that makes a big difference when you're uh, working with individuals all day in a setting where germs are prevalent <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you need to be using your voice and touching instruments and things. And yeah. Right. So for people who aren't necessarily trained in this in Reiki or other energy practices, do you have any tips for how we can incorporate it into our practice or maybe a mindset that you learned from Reiki or, you know, something we can take from what you've learned to use ourselves in our music therapy practices? Yes, that's a great question. Thanks for letting me answer that, too. Um, Reiki is a particular practice, but it opened up my world to broader energy work. So what I'll tell you is from what I've learned more about from that that broader learning that I've been doing, um, one thing that you can do is tell yourself as you're going into work with somebody just to pull all of your attention and all of your energy to behind your eyes and how you know that you are conscious from behind your eyes is that when you look out you can see your nose because many of us actually have our consciousness kind of in front of us as opposed to in our heads and that can happen especially if we're doing a lot of mind work or creating something where we're focused on paper or instruments or practicing and things like that, we tend to, to be out. So if you imagine bringing your energy and your thought to behind your eyes, then that can give you a better sense of being centered. And then even from that point, when you have your consciousness kind of in the center of your head, then you can imagine that you have this dial in your mind and you turn down the chatter 
that's going on in your mind. So that is a really, um, that's been a very helpful thing for me to do as well, because I know my mind gets crazy. I got the monkey mind going on sometimes. And um, so that's, that's what I've learned through energy work. The other thing too, oh, this is really good, is if you imagine that um, there is a beam of light coming down from um, the universe and you just feel this beam of light coming into the top of your head, moving gently through your body, down and out of your feet and down into the center of the earth. If you feel that, that's what you call grounding. And to have that sense of grounding um, for me is very important too. It helps me to say, okay, I'm just going to let this anxiety that I'm feeling just go down that energy cord and I'm going to bring in fresh energy from above. And it takes practice and just like, just like anything, the, the more you do it, the better you get at it and the more you can feel it as well. But, um, when I started doing the grounding practice, it's like, whoa, this is, this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then bringing in fresh energy from above um, really helps to fuel your your energy body because we have our physical body, but we have our energy body too. And for a music therapist, having having a good fresh, um, bright energy body helps us with our intuition. And if you ever think about that moment where you are just so in the moment, you felt the flow. And your intuition told you something and you responded and, you know, something magical happened, even for even for from our perspectives, like, wow, I didn't expect that to happen. You know, that's um, and that's what having that good energy flow and that grounding can help you do. It can help your intuition be better. And that intuition is like your five senses with the gloves taken off. So you might have more of a sense, you know, something that you might hear that your ears didn't hear, but you sensed it or something that you see that your eyes didn't see, but somehow you sensed it and you knew about that. Yeah, that's that's your intuition. And that's about energy work, too. So if you can quiet your mind, be grounded and have imagine uh, refreshing your energy during the day. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. When I'm having a really tough day, I, I take that, you know, the beam of light coming to you. Mm -hmm. Or I often think about patience is a word that comes to me all the time. And, yeah. you know, sometimes people can say, I'm out of energy, I'm out of patience. And I remind myself that those things are, they come through me, they are yes. not from me. So like, there is infinite energy and excitement and patience yeah. and compassion I can use in a session and just reminding myself that those things don't come from me. I cannot be depleted of those things because they just come through me. I find that really yes. helpful. Yes, absolutely. And and I like how you say that too. It's it's infinite. There there is such an abundance of energy. We don't have to create it. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, you're a channel for that energy. And something that I've learned through the Reiki practice in particular is that when you are that clear channel for the healing energy to move through you to your recipient, your body and your energy body is also going to take from that and use it for itself. Mm-hmm. 
as well. So, and and I, I think music is energy too. I mean, how many times have I been in a session and that song that's coming out of me that doesn't feel like it's from me is also uh, energizing me too. Yeah. Yeah. I can yeah. totally relate to that. Yes. Awesome. Sometimes I'll, I'll sit in a session with a client who maybe is nonverbal or, um, cannot necessarily use an AAC device to express to me what they need and I'm not getting much from them and I'll think you know okay intuition what do I need to do next what do I need to elicit this response and engage this person and yeah that's definitely something I have to do during sessions Mm -hmm. (laughs) is wait for that gut feeling of oh this is what they're looking for today or right just let the ego get out of the way (laughs) yes yes I was thinking earlier circling back when you said you used to not necessarily before donating or um, giving time for for music therapy services and how you've switched your mindset. And I was thinking, yeah, that's that's a good example of the ego getting out of the way. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Do you have anything you want to add before we move into rapid fire? No, I think I think I'm very satisfied and very happy with what I've been able to share today. And it's, uh, I'm excited to to share what I learned. So thank you so much again for letting me come. We'll have to do a follow up episode when you've okay. kind of started your uh, your practice again and you're doing your in, in all the stuff and you can let us know how it's all going. I'd be happy to. Yes. Awesome. We'll do that for sure. Okay. Alrighty. Coffee or tea? Coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Well said. Early bird or night owl? Um, what day of the week is it? <laughs> Whatever you say, it's your answer. <laughs> well, that's kind of my answer. <laughs> so if it's um, normally um, part of my part of my daily practice now is to um, get up usually about five o'clock or 445 if the cat's hungry. So um, and then to and I have a greyhound as well. I adopted a greyhound last year. So she gets her morning walk in about five o'clock and then I spend 20 minutes. I put a timer on. I spent 20 minutes uh, writing out gratitudes. And that's something that I've recently added too. So just uh, focusing on your gratitude is a, a really good way to keep your soul happy. Um, so I do that. And then if it's a, a weekend day, like tomorrow morning in particular, I'll do that. And then I'll have a little bit of meditation. And then I take a, a nap at 630 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. Uh-huh. Awesome. Because usually like Friday night, Saturday night, the weekends, I do like to stay up a little later. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said, what day of the week yeah. is it? <laughs> I was not anticipating you saying that you would take a nap at 630, but that's yeah. awesome. Yes. Something you would tell your younger self. You are so on the right track. Stay focused on your mission. Beautiful. Your music therapy elevator speech. Oh, I love this. Um, what I like to do is give a, um, a, a comparison. So if you imagine that uh, music entertainers perform music, music educators teach music, and music therapists apply music. And that usually gets a, a nod of like, Okay. And I'm thinking, well, at least they know what music therapy is not Mm -hmm. (laughs) now, but they might 
ask a follow-up question and depends on, you know, how many floors of the elevator you get to talk about <laughs> that. So um, I might add an example of, well, you know, we have this little fellow who um, his chemotherapy caused him to, to limp, you know, it affected his, neuro, his uh, nervous system. So he has less control over that left leg. Well, I'm going to sing a little tune to him as we walk to the playroom. I'm going to make it up and going to put it out a beat where his uh, cadence and his gait will smooth out. And so that we'll continue to do that. And that will help him to walk again. He'll enjoy the music along the way, but it's about helping him to function better. Awesome. I, I've never heard that opening statement like that before, so I really appreciate that. Awesome. Anybody can use it. <laughs> Your favorite self-care practice? I, um, well, obviously I have, I think I have several now, so definitely doing the grounding and feeling the energy come through me, um, baking cookies and creating cookie recipes, and uh I love to teach my spin class. That's that's part of self-care for me because uh, I get to do it. Plus, I get to help other people as well. So let's stick with those three for now. Awesome. <laughs> Something that's currently adding value to your life. I am doing, um, like I've said, just a lot of spiritual growth work and it truly has added a lot of value to my life. Um, I have been a, a distance runner in the past and I haven't done a long run for about 11 months and that coincides with the time that I started meditating. So I think I'm in a meditation and spiritual growth uh, phase of my life at the moment. And um, But I, I certainly hope to get back to to the running as well. So I can do moving meditation next. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like yoga, but different. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> your favorite or your current favorite intervention or song to use in a session? My, I think, all-time favorite intervention involves tone chimes. So you pass out your tone chimes in the pentatonic scale. And you can use this with kids, adults, even use it in a presentation. I've, I've taken my tone chimes out to do educational um, events. So, and you can adapt it to any way that you want to. It could be about um, helping someone to have executive function. So planning out how they're going to um, lead so you give them the baton or, you know, have them direct the way they want the music to go. And I always demonstrate first and, and I say, I'm just going to make it up. And you know what? It's going to sound great. So when it's your turn, it's going to sound great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it can be about executive functioning. It could be about helping someone take on that leadership role and make choices and have those choices mean something. And that's a part of coping when you can make a choice and that choice has a consequence that's positive for you. Um, it can also be about the expression too. So it could be just pure, let's just make music, or it could be about if you were to write a song today, what would you name the title? What would you call it? All right. How about if we try to play that? And uh, so it could be an expression of, um, how someone's feeling during that day, or you could even take it from this is how you're feeling now, and 
what do you want to feel like later? And let's do that musically. So let's change your music along the way. Uh, so, and it's a great, obviously it's a great group session kind of thing to do. And I've used it in the children's hospital. I've used it with bereavement groups and um, even supports for our volunteers as a way to just, you know, make music and have fun and try something that you've never done before too. So definitely the tone chimes, pentatonic scale, see what you can do. Yeah, I love that. And I love empowering someone in the session to direct it. That's awesome. Great. So how can people connect with you? Where can they find you? Uh, The best way to connect with me now is through uh, my email, which is juliemartin.mtbc at gmail.com. I have an LLC with a name, but no website (laughs) yet. Um, So yeah, anybody can just can contact me through my personal email. I am on Facebook and kind of jump in on the um, several of the music therapy Facebook groups too. So you can find me there. Awesome. Well, it's been so great to talk with you. Thank you for sharing your vision and giving us those practices we can use during the day to bring energy work into both our self-care and our practices, our music therapy practices. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. I will. You too. was a very enjoyable conversation and I hope you enjoyed listening to it as well. I'm starting to think with people on the podcast who have these self-care, grounding, energy work type practices that they use themselves, maybe asking them to do a little guided meditation, say, or practice in the episode. So if that's something you're interested in, let us know by either sending us an email, feedback at musictherapychronicles.com telling us in the Facebook group or telling us on Instagram. And that's something I'll start incorporating into the episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you in the next one. Mm -hmm.